All right, here we are with Humblewood, Weed and Start the Fire, Season 1, the introduction. To my left we have... Tyler, uh, I'm the DM. Peter, Peter playing Pipsqueak, Small Pulse, the German cleric. And I'm RD, playing Luna, the Looney Luma. And I'm... Oh, shit, sorry. Uh, no, that's cool. I jumped the gun. I'm just excited. But what are you? I'm a... I just... I throw spells. Sorcerer. Yes. <laughs> I'm Devin, I'm playing Tintooth until he dies. And then I play Redbeak until he dies. <laughs> and Mark, unfortunately, wasn't able to join us today, but he is playing Bucky, who is a... Servant. Oh my God. Servant. Servant uh, Barbarian. Servant Barbarian? Servant. As I in, mean, like yes. a deer person. Like a deer person. Right, 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 right. Okay, so how do we want to do this intro? The pitch for Humblewood, then the system we're using, then the pitch for this game, then the characters, sure. same as always. Yeah, I'll do the pitch, and then we'll go around. Um, I'll do Mark. So, um, so Humblewood is a setting that was kickstarted for D&D 5th edition, uh, but we're actually playing it in a modified mouse guard setting. Um, and what it is, is it is a idyllic forest woodland uh, that is inhabited mostly by bird people, but also by some other deer people, or uh, mouse people, or uh, hedgehog people, or what have you. Um, but the bird folk are the dominant races in this setting. Um, and there was, several years ago, a scar on the land. Um, a sort of a mystical fire brand that was burned in. Um, and people learned to live with it, but recently it started to expand and send forth fire elementals um, and various beings of flame uh, that have started to terrorize the surrounding areas um, and cause mass exodus of refugees um, fleeing from, from the fire um, to the more inhabited parts. Um, in addition to this, there is a huge bandit problem uh, that has risen up in the east, uh, mostly from what are called the humble folk, which are the non-bird folk. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're terrorizing the area. Uh, so the bird folk are caught between these two problems, uh, the fires that are spreading and the bandits that are uh, pillaging and it's the job of the heroes to kind of deal with these problems as they arise. Um, yeah, and that's that's basically the gist of the setting uh, going into it. So why don't we go around and do our character? Game pitch. And uh, what do you mean by game pitch? Like the pitch for your specific game. We so the, the, the pitch for the game is that there are problems that are facing society and there are not clear solutions for them. Um, we have refugees who are encroaching. Um, we have bandits who are uh, terrorizing the area, but uh, the bandits are somewhat justified in what they're doing. And the problem with refugees is that there's not really a great solution for that. You can't just shove them into a city um, because the city will become overpopulated. Um, it's not easy to just incorporate a mass exodus of people, but at the same time, you can't just turn them away. So the idea for the game is that the players have to face 
issues that don't have clear, easy solutions. You can't just go beat someone up and solve this problem. Yeah, and that's why we're not using D&D, because it doesn't have no <laughs> social nuances. Yeah, so it, it literally does not handle nuance very well. Yeah, it is, it is just a combat simulator. Um, and in the actual Humblewood uh, game, what it turns out is there is a necromancer who is raising a spirit of fire, and you just go and beat him up, and then that solves everything. Um, Wait, is that the plot for Humblewood? Yes. There's like an evil necromancer? Yeah. And we're not We're not doing that. Oof. I mean, haven't you read all the description about like how necromancy is bad like, multiple times over? Stated explicitly. Obviously, that's something afoot. Yeah. So, we're not We're not doing that. We're, we're taking a bit of a different route. Um, and we're trying to pivot more into a little bit more social nuance. Um, and having having characters sort of come to grips with conflicts that you can't solve by beating something up. Yep. And we would talk about the system of most guard, but we did in the previous game, so we don't need to. It's a burning wheel system. Like we did, yeah. We'll break down the system. Maybe we will sort of briefly mention that this is an adaptation of Mouse Guard, um, and that we have changed the skills a bit. Um, Most of the changes you made just unshackle it from the character creation of Mouse Guard, really. Just so yeah, like it's 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 not it's not a huge pivot. Like it's basically Mouse Guard. Um, But if you're listening and you're familiar with Mouse Guard, and you encounter some situations where you're like, "Hey, that's not exactly how that works." Um, that was probably an intentional change that we made. Yeah, like we solved our problem with attack, attack, attack. Yes. And yeah. Okay, now let's go into characters. Okay, so my character is Pipsqueak Smokos. He's a German cleric. He's pretty young, and yeah, he's from Alderheart. Most of his family slash clan live in the upper trunk. You know, they're artisans and what have you. But he decided to, you know, go and help people. So he, you know, he went from the go- living the upper trunk to the under rules, to the underbelly of society, because that's where he's needed the most. And yeah, that's like what's like where he's been. He's um, the cleric of Ardea, which is the chief deity of the system. But I think as we discuss. We feel that Humble is more of a pan, pantheon-focused uh, setting, so it's not like, oh, I cannot do anything with other deities. It's more like, oh, you're a general cleric, but this is like your primary focus, I guess. So expect some other things as well. And yeah, he's small. He's like smaller than most Jervians, so he's like two feet tall. You know, he looks like one of those... Um, what do you call those? Like primos or something like that? Those with like long legs. Like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those dragons with long, kinky legs. <laughs> yeah, long, kinky legs and long tails and so on and so on. That's him. So. Uh, I am playing Luna. She is a reputation of being a little bit loony, and she is a Luma. Luma being one of the bird people in Humblewood. She's um, a pigeon. Basically. <laughs> but I thought she you, was a dove. She's more like a dove. She's white. (laughs) To be fair, she is yes. (laughs) She is white like a dove, but with slightly gold sheen to her feathers because you know magic and shit. Um, And she is 
magical and thinking kind of, I kind of tried to base her a little bit more like the concept of like a wild mage in D&D because &D, originally I was thinking to go that direction but we don't really have that but just imagine someone who's a little bit all out there uh, she is uh, raised in the avium um, which is the center of magic essentially and her parents Larry and Lorna were archivists there and she was very gifted and got into a lot of conflict with people because she isn't the brightest at social skills, um, but does think that she is. Um, she walks around with a stolen tome, but she's borrowing it if you ask her. And it was stolen from the avium, sorry, borrowed from the avium, and it's as big as she is, and she carries it around on her back and will often use it to reference it. She's obsessed with magical beasts and using magic for literally everything, including standing up essentially so yeah a uh, little bit and, and, and she looks like this <laughs> she's not very smart <laughs> but she thinks she's brilliant not what i think. I think that summarizes her to to an extent was it from the library that you stole it uh from the avium itself she stole from the Academy like, of Sources. Like, I mean, you're allowed to check out libraries. No, <laughs> no, this, is, she this, this is a book. Not from the restricted area. This is what <laughs> I would say. I know that she's not allowed. This is definitely a book that she it wasn't was supposed to even afraid. see. That's why when Harry picked it up, it was like, please, no. And Harry's like, I'm going to interrogate you. And he starts waterboarding the book and screaming. Yeah, this this book has been heavily marked with her own notes. <laughs> yeah. She's drawn all over the book with her own anecdotes. Generally, if a book is chained down to something, you shouldn't be taking it out. <laughs> Magic. Alright, so I'm Devin. I started playing Tintooth. Tintooth was a possum druid. Uh, I based the character, and by based I mean ripped off, Jason Mendoza from The Good Place, who was a Jacksonville, Florida swamp person, and that's what Tintooth was. They cared about people, they cared about things, they cared about people assuming that crime meant was morally bad, because that was a bunch of bullshit. Tintooth died, now I'm playing Redbeak. Redbeak is a Dracula parrot and a ranger, and has the highest stats possible in Devin succeeding at combat. And that made Devin happy for a while. Those characters. Okay. I don't um, really have a... Sorry, I know I intoned that I was done, but I figured I'd have more because you guys went long. Go ahead. Uh, that's pretty much it. I didn't really want to go super all over the place with either of these characters, so I made them fairly focused. Tintooth was druid, problem solving. Uh, red beak was physical issue, and like the stuff, all the stuff we had deficiencies in, like tracking or labor, I kind of filtered through this character. That's good. Okay. Um, and I'm going to talk for Mark, because unfortunately Mark was not able to make it tonight. He was a player. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is playing Bucky, son of Benny. Um, and Bucky is uh, a deer person who is kind of skittish, uh, unless you really push him, at which point he snaps and goes all barbarian mode on you, in which case he becomes super strong, super scary, um, and just... Uh, yeah, really steps it up. Um, he is strong, he's tough. Um, he has a special set of horns that sets him apart from other servants um, that distinguishes him as marked for greatness that he's always kind of had to live with. Um, he apprenticed under a ranger um, and learned a lot about that. Not a lot of social skills, um, 
but he does his best uh, and he always tries to help people out wherever he can. Um, and his main thing is that he is a very strong laborer and whenever the situation arises, he will hunker down uh, and work the best that he can. Okay. So, if he also needs to cover? Yeah, do, we, do, we, do you want to pad this out? We only got less than 15 minutes. Can we have two more minutes? <laughs> uh, sure. Hopes um, and dreams? Talk about your fears. Um, why don't, don't mention we, that thing Peter posted. Why don't yeah? Why don't we discuss the problems that we had with Mosgard and the ways that we have tried to fix it? Um, as Peter alluded to, uh, we found when we played Mosgard before that attack, attack, attack was always the best option, and faint was always kind of a dead end because faint only destroyed defend. And defend was not really the best thing to defend do. Defend only lets you recover up to your losses, and it's like, what? Yeah. You don't let me supercharge? Uh, and when you think about what a feint does, really it's more about drawing out an, an attack and misleading them into an attack of opportunity for you. So we changed it so that feint actually disarms attack, uh, so that now you have... A good option versus attack it's not always the best thing to take um, and it also in a way buffed defend because now you can use defend without fear of being disabled um, also, and actually get back up to your full HP also and also I think defend beats faint so you have a little bit of uh, counter so yeah we just find that works better yeah. um, Another thing that we changed uh, was we adapted the skills slightly, uh, and that's honestly still kind of a work in progress. We might change it up a bit more for Season 2. Um, but uh, Mouse Guard is a very skill-based system. So when we sit down and we have a Cleric and a Sorcerer and a Druid and a Barbarian, um, the main thing that differentiates them is actually their skill set. Uh, so, yeah, so that was that was something that we adapted as well. I almost um, feel like Mouse Guard, like the version you're doing would be better if you renamed Attack, Defend, whatever, as literally Rock, Paper, Scissors, and just like set up a wheel so people could reference for what counters mm -hmm. what. Because the narrative implications of Attack, <clears throat> Defend, Faint, or whatever don't really seem to matter in our thought process whereas it's all like guys you're gonna do throw rock scissors paper dove spock uh i would say that in the book they say attack is anything that advances your goals so i would say just rename it to advance i guess and i would say rename defend to recover the problem with your thing is that rock paper scissors is only three well no, there are actually four options yeah but you could actually make it five because that's how the math of it works there's actually a 187 version it's not important but like <laughs> you could do a pokemon rock paper scissors wheel with how what most guard is doing and like just pull away the sort of narrative justification for it because every action you're taking in a mouse guard combat is to advance your goals you're not picking faint for fun yeah like I'm not picking faint because narratively it makes sense for me to faint. I want to advance my goals by beating this asshole, and if I faint, I'll get advantage on the next thing to do, you know, whatever, to, like, start doing a thing. Uh, let me say that I'm very interested to see what Torchbearer does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they said that they're, they're not... 
why it weighs They're not so. basing it off Burning Wheel. They're basing it off Mouse Guard. That would be refreshing because Burning Wheel is a hot mess. Yeah. And living yeah. in Canada, we know a thing or two about hot messes in the summer. <laughs> Jesus H. Christ, it's like plus 40 in here. Yeah, we're all sweating. Yeah. Well, also we, we changed was uh, expanding it to all the races. So everybody that picked the race had to uh, go to define what they do rather than you're a mouse, you know how to forage for food and, you know, climb and stuff. Yeah, because nature is a huge part of the mouse guard system. So we had to redefine nature to be specific to each individual race. So each person who made a character when they picked their race had to define four aspects that they felt were intrinsic to their race. And those were their nature elements as opposed to the standard for Mouse Guard, which is uh, foraging, hiding, um, running away, etc., etc. Yeah. <laughs> Forage, hiding, eating your young. Yeah. <laughs> Only sometimes. But uh, so why don't we why don't we go around and just say what you guys picked for your nature, just so that everyone knows. Okay, so for Jerbeen, I picked up their communal, nimble, they are good at jumping, and teamwork. Oh, and for me, uh, as a Luma, I picked that I was very flighty, and not, in the, not meaning I fly, because I can't, but like, very like, ah, flighty, you know, those type of people. Run away. Yeah, I don't like to like commit to things. Love the face. Much like myself. Uh, deceive people. Survive slash endure and uh, speaking, elocution, giving speeches. So for Tintooth, I think the four things I chose was like playing dead, being pitiable, eating garbage, and like socializing or something. And for Redbeak, who's a Dracula parrot, I picked strike fiercely, be an extrovert, hunt prey, gather treasure. And Mark, for Bucky, picked skittish, powerful, wild, and endure. Perfect. So those those all kind of represent. I mean, every, every character uses the same mechanic of relying on their nature, but each character has a different nature, so they're applicable in different things. Yep. Yeah. And uh, and I think yeah, you'll you'll see that come into play. Um, you know, we we see like uh, you use the communal aspect of your nature a lot. Um, you use elocution and you use strike fiercely. I so deceive a lot. Yeah, deceive <laughs> a lot. We all play to our yeah. strengths to get yeah. those twelve dice rolls. So bad. So it actually makes your your race um, a very. It makes it a very interesting choice, um, and honestly, I think that it's better than the D and D approach of just giving you like plus two to agility. Sorry, dexterity. <laughs> um, or, you know, like stat bonuses, or um, stone cutting, or being able to deck trap doors, trap doors um, because it, uh, it really reflects in how you want to play, um, and it makes, a, it makes a character feel very differently from another one. Like, if we had a Luma cleric versus a Jerbeen cleric, they would still play very differently because you would have your natural inclination towards elocution and deception and you would have it towards communal spirit. Yep. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. What you're saying is valid, but you're comparing to D&D, and like, as I'm fond of saying, anything's better than crawl. <laughs> I think that's all we need. Okay, great. Well, I was Tyler. Peter. Hey. Hey, you there? Me? What's your name? Oh, R.D. And I was Devin. And this is sponsored by Nobody. Signing off.